Some people put everything into their work. Their name on the door, and their heart into their community. Small Business Saturday is a day to show our support. A day to shop at stores owned by our friends and neighbors. And do our part for the businesses that do so much for us. Well, this is a commercial from a couple of years ago, but even so, the sentiment's there. It's Small Business Saturday, this upcoming Saturday. Lisa could be, what, uh, November 30th, I believe. I think so. And uh, that voice right there is Zach Miller. Now, first of all, Zach, the, the company I work for, the station I work for, you have a radio show called Truck Stop Radio. And I brought you on because actually your show on Saturdays is having a huge uh, series on this. You've had a couple interviews with regards to small business Saturday, have you not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, thanks for having me on. This is really exciting. Exciting to be on this side of the table. Um, but yeah, you know, that's one of the things we talk about on the show just in general. We call it, you know, uh, the voice of small business in New York. And so we try to have as many small business advocates on as we possibly can. So last week, to talk about Small Business Saturday, we had a friend of ours, Leslie Brown, who is the president of the Forest Hills Chamber of Commerce. And everything that they're doing, you know, in that community for small business Saturday. But it's, you know, replicated throughout the city. It's definitely uh, in my backyard. I, I My residence is in Jamaica Hills, so Forest Hills is right there. Yep. But now, you, you do truck stop radio, but you do more than just trucker talk, you know? And that's the beauty of your show. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that's the thing. When we started, before we even started the show, when we started the website, one of the things we wanted it to be was sort of like the virtual truck stop. Mm -hmm. So what do people talk about at truck stops? Well, they talk about business, they talk about politics, and they talk about trucking. So that's sort of what we put on the website, and it's the same thing with the show. That's what we want to talk about, all those facets. Now, your Small Business Saturday in and of itself, I do feel like that's the only day of the year that small businesses are honored. I mean, throughout the rest of the year, the entrepreneurial spirit has not been as highlighted as it should. Would you agree with that? I would 100% agree with that, 100%, especially in this city, in this climate. Um, There's a very anti-commerce climate in this city. And frankly, you know, look, I I, I patronize Forest Hill shops. I love small businesses, but I also use bigger companies. I do both. You know, let's not lie. Um, but with the bigger companies, those are the ones that get all the attention. Those are the ones that get all the tax breaks. Those are the ones that let, let, let really suck the air out of the room in good and bad ways. Sure. And that leaves a real shortfall for these small businesses. Well, and not only that, it just seems like if there are heavy taxes on big businesses, the small businesses are going to get just as much affected, are they not? Oh, I, I would even say more so. I'll give you an example. And what we're talking about on our show this week, there's this bill that they're talking about passion in New Jersey, this independent contractors bill. And they're sort of um, jumping on the backs of the California bill. And the, the reason for this, essentially, is because a lot of these Silicon Valley transportation companies have taken advantage of workers by giving them an independent contractor designation where really they should have been employees and they should have been paying benefits and all that. Um, and I, I, I have a problem with that. You have to treat people fairly. However... A regulation like this is not going to really hurt those companies. It's going to hurt the small businesses. Right. It's going to hurt the owner-operators, and it's also going to hurt the small businesses that need to hire, you know, sort of part-time gig-type workers. Well, and let, let's look at it this way. It also, what what we saw with Amazon did hurt that small business community because Amazon was going to go right there. Exactly. Yeah, it's a big corporation, 
But and I bring them bring them up because Cuomo is getting slammed with emails. I'm sure you saw oh, the yeah, post article I did, I did. about that. And it's just like, you know, I don't care if they're a big business. That's a small business community that they could have really had a positive impact on. Oh, 100 percent. And and to me, that was even look, anytime a government entity throws numbers out there, if it's something if it's money that they're going to spend, I always say double it. If it's revenue that they say they're going to bring in, I always say cut it in half. Amazon was, I think, the closest to accurate that there would have been because, exactly like you say, because of the economic impact on the small businesses, on entrepreneurs who are saying, hey, I could open up this restaurant, this mm-hmm. studio. I could sell my services to people who work for Amazon or who work for people who work for Amazon. It, it's, and I don't love the word trickle down because, right. because I think it, it sort of isn't – it's not that windfall that we expect. But I think in this case – that's what would have happened. Would have oh, seen absolutely. a nice stream flowing. Now your your dad got you involved with all this. Uh, he was in the trucking business, is that right? Yeah. So he worked for a um, sanitation company. Arthur Miller is his Arthur name. Arthur Miller. Yeah. So he worked uh, in house for um, a sanitation company. He was a safety compliance guy. Uh, they couldn't <laughs> because it was a whole big thing. He couldn't be the official, you know, attorney. So he he worked in safety and compliance. Um, he worked for them for like about five or six years. The industry changed a little bit, and he went out on his own and started handling fleets, uh, parking tickets, traffic tickets. All well, I was going to say, and watching the way he might have been politically ousted, the attorney thing, watching all that and then him telling you about it must have inspired you to get involved and really speak up. Oh, completely, completely, because it, it's sort of like, you know, you you grow up with something. So you understand it, warts and all, and then you hear people talking about it, and you're like, you have no idea what you're talking about whatsoever. And not only that, but wait, people are taking you seriously, and you don't even know what you're saying? And it, would you say that's applicable to politicians in today's world, too? I, th- I think it is. The, you, you should have that cry on under every single politician, you know, when they're talking on CNN, you know. So-and-so is fed nonsense from somebody who doesn't know and is making assumptions about an industry they can't possibly understand. Well, you know, I've seen, and I covered this a while ago, that they were going to try and regulate the truck industry because the hours that these guys, these truckers were working, what, 19 hours at one yeah, point? They, and, they, they do. No, and it, it is it is a serious concern, um, the hours of service. But one of the things that they are, that, that I think you're referring to on the federal level, is they're trying to make some changes to it to allow the truckers a little bit more flexibility. Um, because they're they're so tightly regulated in terms of when they can take breaks and when they can't, and, and it's problematic because in some cases they they have to wait around to receive their shipment. Sometimes they're stuck in traffic, and sure. like, what are they going to do? They're going to pull over off the side of the FDR? Like, come on. Well, one of the big ones that I had, I think I texted you as I saw it, was of course smoking the bandit, and those guys were mm-hmm. like the big. Those are the sample size of the truckers that we got to see on the big screen. Has that changed at all? Has that type of trucker change at all over the years? Absolutely. A lot because of sort of the population growth around urban areas and with the rise of e-commerce. So many uh, what you call truck trips are last mile within a hundred mile radius. Um, So a lot of these truckers aren't really over the road. They have very set routes. They do the route every day and they go home at night, Um, which is interesting because it's a little easier to find people who want to take those types of shifts than the, you know, smoking the bandit over the road trucker 
That's it. So I mean, and there are people who are still drawn to that lifestyle, but it it's fewer. But you just that, were you about to say that's insulting to most truckers? No, it's not insulting at all. I mean, look, that's how it was back mm-hmm. back in the day. That's how it was. But but just the economics have completely changed. Well, and, and I was going to talk about that. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this podcast interview with Zach Miller, uh, co-host of Truck Stop Radio. Now, tell us the times really quickly. So we're at 1 p.m. Um, Saturdays on 970 and 570, but during football season, it kind of shifts around a little bit. So we'll usually be at one on one of the stations, and then the other station will jump around a little bit. Now, I'm not a sales guy, <laughs> but I think Zach can attest to you. Army could actually give you a great lead-in, if you remember correctly. Oh, oh my gosh. it was I, This was so exciting. So it was the Army-Michigan game, and we were coming on after that game, which kept getting pushed back. I think the, the show was supposed to start at, like, 4, and, you know, that game went into, like, four overtimes or whatever it was. But I was and, – and, you know, so, um, our contact here at the station, Greg, was, was a little nervous. He's like, are you guys going to get to it? I'm like, no, please, more football, <laughs> more better football lead into it. I, I love it. Two overtimes. Of course, Michigan ended up winning. But, you yeah. know, one of the big scares for Michigan this year, that's a different story. Let's talk about the small business aspect for the trucker, because a lot of them are small business owners, oh, yeah. are they not? Oh, yeah. So that's one of the things that when I mentioned earlier with the um, the New Jersey. So serving the New Jersey ports, the, the ports of New York and New Jersey, about 77% are owner-operators, which are small business owners. It's basically a person who owns one, maybe they own two trucks, and that's it. And and that's sort of what we love about it. It's the entrepreneurial spirit. It's the American sure. dream. We're going we're gonna to work really hard. It's not an easy life. And frankly, you're not going to make a whole lot of money, but you could support yourself and you could support your family. You're a business owner and you do. So you have this great understanding of the economy and of how commerce needs to flow. And that's why I think uh, using owner operators is such an asset to the trucking industry. And I know you want to launch Truck Stop into a bigger than life radio, a media company. Oh, absolutely. Not just radio, not just the website. What's well, the website too? The website, NewYorkTruckStop.com. Well, absolutely, because, again, to, to the point you were making earlier, there's so much sort of misinformation out there about trucking. No one's speaking for small businesses. Um, to, to me, it seems like a perfect opportunity. It's just people need to know. People need to be informed. And small businesses, truckers, people who, who work what used to be called blue-collar jobs, but they're trades, they're really good careers, they need advocates too. Why should everybody else have an advocate, mm-hmm. you know? Now, you were recently at a conference, and, and I'm just thinking to myself – how has the trucking industry been impacted by social media? Because I feel like small businesses have been entirely impacted, but they may still not know how to work it because they're so used to the word of mouth kind of community. Oh, feel. that's such a fantastic question. There are so many ways. I mean, one is sort of the negative way is sort of negative publicity could travel a lot faster now. So, look, we know not everybody operates the way they're supposed to. Mistakes happen. Um, and, but, you know, when it does happen, it paints the entire industry in a bad light. Also, but at the same time, um, you don't necessarily need to have that broker anymore. When you need freight, you have more or, you know, you need to pick up or drop off a load. You have a little bit more options to get to get that notification out there. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword with m- most things social media. And and so would you say the trucking industry has been able to promote better with this new age or are they still kind of I in think we're behind. Way? I, I got to be honest. I, th- I think we're behind. I think I think we are making improvements. 
Um, and you know, certainly that's something that we at New York Truck Stop try to uh, try to bridge that. They gap. tweet a lot, and I love that about them. You know? <laughs> we do. It's good. We do. We do. It does take away from other work, but you know, it, you you have to you have to fight the battles on the fields that they're played in, and that is social media. And that's why you know I, we all work hard. We all have our lives, but but you have to be out there and you have to be telling your story because if you're not telling your story, somebody else is going to tell it for you, and you're not going to like what they have to say. Now you do radio, but do you? Find- Obviously, you find podcasts a good way to get the word out as well. Absolutely, because and it's also it's there. You you save it, you hold it. So it's like so. Let's say just for example, we did a podcast on hours of service. So if someone's searching for hours of service podcast, there it is, and it's always there. And as long as you know, until the regulation changes, that information is accurate. And it's easily digestible. Now, your father has passed down the love of this trucking industry to you. Do you find that a lot in the industry? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. It is such a family business type of industry. So many of my colleagues uh, in the industry are, you know, second, third, fourth generation. And that that still includes a lot of consolidation. But, yeah, it, it is really a family atmosphere. And, you know, successful companies give that to their employees, too. They make sure they feel like you're part of the family. And this is a family business. You don't need to have my last name. Right. You come in here. You work hard. We're going to take care of you like family. Well, I think you remember I started this We the Shareholder series. I yes, think I was telling yes. you about that. Because all these companies, they get ridiculed on Wall Street or by all these mainly Democrats, by the way, Democratic politicians of how bad they are as CEOs and stuff, but they're actually benefiting their own employees, which no one talks about. No, not at all. You know, it, it, look, hypocrisy, there's plenty of hypocrisy to go around. Um, but, but certainly one of the interesting thing, I always do find it interesting where some of these Democrat, Democratic politicians, particularly on the further left, will get out there and they'll say, we need to stand up for, you know, the minorities and the working people and all that. And that's, all well and good. You should stand up for people like that. But you can't then turn around and back policies that are going to hurt them. You know, it's just like if you really want to stand up for people. Right. You want you want to make sure that that there's a climate where businesses can succeed, where where employers are meant to feel like the better you treat your employees, the better we'll treat you. Right. Not not, you need to cut corners or else, you know, we're going to come at it's it's just it's, it's a whole messed up system that we have out here. Now, at the same token, we both like to call, call out the Republicans when we have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one called out Jamie Dimon for saying he wouldn't return the 31, or however it was, million he got from the board. And I'm like, come on, guys. If you want to be for the people, that's not right either. Absolutely. No, abso- it's absolutely true. And, and, you know, that's the problem when everybody's so, like, they live in their little cliques. So it's like you have, you know, the big money cliques where Jamie Dimon's floating around. And then you have, the on the Democrats, you have these more, like, progressive back groups who, you know, think they're for the working people, but they're not because they don't have real difficult jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I, I, I begrudge no one they're living, but being a well-paid advocate is not the same as, you know, working uh, retail six days a week. Well, so let, let's talk about that for a second. So trucking industry, how do you find the leaders there in, in amongst the industry treat their employees compared to how, say, a retailer treats their employee or say... I don't know, any big corporation treats their sort of ground level employees. So that so that's the issue. Right. I think, you know, the the big companies, the big trucking companies, I think there are a lot of problems with the way they treat their employees. 
um, from warehouse staffing to drivers and everything in between. The mid-sized firms do an amazing job. The mid-sized firms really do take those family values and apply it. Unfortunately, the industry is dominated by the big firms who... Um, and do you want to name them? I'm not sure. Uh, no, I don't, I, I, <laughs> I don't see the need to name them. But, um, you know, you could Google it, so, some of the big fours. Well, there's a great joke in the um, insurance part of the industries, which is they're like, all right, you get your CDL. That's a commercial driver's license. You get your CDL. Go drive for one of the big guys. Go have your accident there. Then come work for us. Right. Because they just need bodies. Honestly, it's it, it, it's kind of gross to think about it this way, but it is a numbers game. It is a dollars and cents. They have so much freight they need to move. They mm. need warm bodies to do it. Whereas the smaller, the mid-sized firms, they prioritize safety above everything else. Now, I, when I think of truck stop radio, I also think of the union component because you guys are very involved with the union discussion as well, yeah, especially in this in, in this the city, numbers, yeah. exactly. So, how do unions either support or tamper or, or hamper, I should say, with small businesses? So, I think the I, I think unions do a lot of good for their employees in terms of making sure the pay is where it needs to be, the benefits are where it needs to be, and making sure that the employee has an advocate. Now, like everything, sometimes that goes too far, and sometimes, let's face it. Bad employees have to go, especially in a safety-sensitive industry. You know, you're talking about people's lives. Not just their livelihood, their actual lives. And you, th the steps that companies need to do in a lot of cases to get bad employees out of there, it, it hurts small businesses. It hurts society at large, too. And we're seeing that in, in not just trucking. We're seeing that in a lot of these municipal uh, unions, sure. you know, where we're like, you know, you have the teachers in the rubber room. And again, some of those teachers have been falsely accused sure, sure. And, and have their right, their, their, their day in court. But there are a lot of bad teachers out there causing a lot of damage to students, and they got to be moved out of well, the Well, I've always found that the good teachers have a longer route to tenure. Meanwhile, the bad ones seem to be issued it right away. Do I you would find that? I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It, it's, it's so funny how that works. And it, yeah. It's kind of weird, actually. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. Uh, and obviously, the other union in New York that gets a lot of play, well, SEIU, but but also the TWU also gets a lot of play here. Yeah, they do, they do, and I'll tell you, they're in a they're in a really tough spot right now because, and this is this is funny. I'll give you a little story. Um, as you know, uh, Arthur and I at you know New York Truck Stop and Trucking Industry, we were really fighting against this congestion pricing. Sure, really fighting against it. So we went to a press conference uh, earlier in the year uh, against it. And, you know, the advocates came and shouted us down and they had the union support because the union workers, they're, they're locked in a really difficult contract battle. And they were told, you know, you, you help us out with, you know, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And after the rally, we turned to them and we said, listen, you guys, you guys think you're doing something good here. You're on the chopping block next. And lo and behold, they got the congestion pricing done. And now what are they talking about? We need to lay off 2,700 workers. Right. We need to cut salaries, cut pensions. There's money for consultants, you know, management right. consultants, of course. <laughs> right. But, yeah, but the workers, no, we don't need them. We, we could run it without them. And well, union like, union leaders often stiff-arm their, their guys, That's don't exactly they? it. That's exactly it. Because then, cause that, cause then it's like any sort of uh, political appointment. It's how do I consolidate power? Forget about the little people. Yeah, I was – what was I reading? I was reading something about that where, you know – it's 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 not good when they get all that power and they just want to disseminate it amongst their own people. Like, that that's how it always goes. It's so sad and it's just like um 
it, it's you create these little fiefdoms, and at the end of the day, how are you helping anybody other than yourself? Yeah, hey, I got to research because I just saw that type of example on my phone. I got to find that and, and send it to you off air. I guess we'll yeah. do that. <laughs> so no, and then of course, what do they do? They now slow down, like the Brooklyn buses the other day. I guess you have a story on that. No, it's just it's just you know because we're you mentioned small business Saturday, so we have Thanksgiving this week. We have you know Christmas in a month. Um, it's the holiday season in New York, and that's what the the word on the street is. There's going to be a, a transit slowdown um, because they're unhappy with some of the changes. And and again, I get why they're unhappy, mm-hmm. but they were the ones who were used, and we told them they were being used, and they they made fun of us. So and it's they like, didn't listen to they you. They didn't listen. So you know what? I, I, I'm a sympathetic person, but there are limits to it. Now, do you feel like union members are like the silent majority at times where they actually disagree, but they can't voice their disagreement? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But I, I think maybe not in this go around but i think in the next local go around you'll start to see some of that you'll start to see some people voting in ways that you would say well hey wait a second a union stronghold like that i wouldn't have expected them to vote that way that's a theory we'll see how it goes by the way i've 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 always believed that the majority didn't pick de blasio and cuomo i always thought the unions did is that an accurate assessment you know that's a great question they they, there's definitely union backing of them um they're definitely incredibly unpopular people i i sure look we know the unions back them we know there is union help i think there are other factors too uh one is just flat out disengagement most new yorkers just don't vote i think there's also um a sort of a trump bump in the negative way in that where people in New York just are so kind of disgusted with Trump that they couldn't bring themselves to vote Republican, even right. though they hate de Blasio and Cuomo just as much. You, yeah, you know? yeah. Well, because then if you vote Republican, people are going to start asking questions. Exactly. So. Exactly. So then it's like, you know, you know, like um, in their own union. Exactly. Exactly. So like, let's just take the most recent example, Borelli. Right. So it's like, I'm sure there are people who would have liked to have supported Borelli, but then felt, oh, he's too close to Trump. I just can't do it. I got to tell you, you, you really should And we love go, Joe Brown. Well, I podcast. love him too, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, you really – and I'm not an ideologue. I'm not. Right. I, I vote for Democrats and I vote for Republicans. I vote for the person who I think will do the best job, and and that's what it is. And I tell you, if more people voted that way, I think we'd have a very better run city. What, would you laugh in de Blasio or Cuomo's face if they just showed up at Small Business Saturday thing? I, I would kind of <laughs> laugh in their face. I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, I just, I literally just did it. I laughed at the question. So yeah, I would certainly, certainly laugh in their face. Well, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that his presidential campaign ended so quickly. Cause yeah, that we, was... kn- we know de Blasio wants to be in Iowa this weekend. He doesn't really want to be supporting small businesses. Now we got a former other mayor in there. It's like a, a carousel. Right it, it, now. It, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's another whole crazy story. Actually, Bloomberg for most of his term was a decent person. He actually was level headed until his third term. And yeah. He went all nuts. That, that's, that is a hundred percent. That third term really, <laughs> that term really well, did the number way, on this city. Well, and the way he did it. Yeah. Like, it was disgusting. If it was fair and square, I guess so. But he literally rewrote the He wrote, he rewrote, he wrote the, bulls and the rules, and the city council just kind of rubber stamped it. Yeah. Well, what else are they, what are they not rubber stamping these days? That's, that's a great point, too. That's I mean, they're now banning too. e-flavored cigarettes. Look. I saw that. But but I'm just thinking that they have these their time 
wasted on other things that are so unimportant. Like yeah. the homeless guy down the street, no one cares about that. But who? No one in these fancy restaurants should have foie gras. Like I don't get it. And and you know my response to those is is isn't even small business necessarily. It's just like wait a second, one in ten New York City children is homeless. Uh, you know how many New Yorkers go to bed hungry? A lot of that does happen to be because small businesses struggle, and they're the ones who really hire people and pay taxes and all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, I, I'm not I, like I don't really want to eat foie gras or, or smoke, you know, e flavored uh, flavored e cigarettes. But it's like, if somebody really wants to do that, let him do it. That's right. not what you should be focusing exactly. on. Well, you know, I was just thinking down the street, Predominantier. There's one like a few blocks away. Yeah, yeah. And they're a big company, but still in the community. They actually bagged the rest of the food and they sent it to City Harvest. And I'm like, that's a great great thing. That's amazing. And I'll tell you what's so fascinating. You know, talking about corporate America, I heard from some of these small business advocates, like corporate America is trying to change their tune a little bit. And they are making investments in the communities through food, through, you know, sponsoring little leagues, through through stuff like that, which right. is great to hear. Well, you know, it's interesting. And, and that is big. And also... Mergers, people might criticize it, but I think it's great. Charles Schwab is back in the market trying to get, you know, TD Ameritrade. That's probably that's like a small business being bought out by Schwab and hopefully bettering it. And and yeah, and hopefully extending opportunities for people to you know open investment accounts and. Well, and we should have more of that, should we not? We absolutely in the city? should. Be. I mean, we absolutely should be. Because I think what happened is the 08 recession, which by the way, colleagues our age are still feeling because. Oh, yeah. Ten years later, it's not just gone. Everybody's feeling the effects of it, but it tamper, it hampered investing, it hampered uh, the will to start something new, and there has to be saying, "No, you can invest again. We can do this again." Exactly, I, I totally agree. With and that. while I, I think the big, the guys who hate the mergers or whatever are going to look at this and say this is bad, I think it's good for America because we have to have. Uh, a fact a merger is happening means somehow business is good. Absolutely. Listen, the. The mergers are not really the issue. The worry about bankruptcies and worry about why companies go bankrupt. Worry about like you know, like you said before, corrupt CEOs loading up books with debt. Don't worry about two companies merging to create a right. bigger, better product. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Is look, as long as the consumer gets a benefit, that that's what's important. And next door to us, you know, WeWork was about to be bought out by J.P. Morgan Chase. But I think when Ch- J.P. Morgan Chase saw what the heck was going on with that, they ran away or something. Well, like that's that. really if if you ask me, what that's the bubble that's going to burst is the Silicon Valley, you know, venture capital bubble. It's just it's completely unsustainable. It's just like you throw these insane valuations for companies that have no idea how to turn a profit. And right. This is what's supposed to drive the economy. And and they're millennial CEOs now, and they just want to get greedy. And and what we saw with Adam Newman. Well, probably we'll see with others around the uh, nation. I think that that's one of the most dangerous trends. And this is not new. Let's be fair. It's been going on for But with technology, has made it new. It's made it new because, like, the, this rock star CEO is a problem. That's not really the CEO's job. Right. The CEO's job is to, you know, set a vision, a profitable vision for a corporation, um, not to set a branding vision for themselves, you know? It's like, it's like the the... We don't need the Instagram influencer CEO. Right. We need a CEO who knows how to run a company, provide jobs, provide a solid product that mm-hmm. people want to buy. Well, do you feel that the Instagram influencer is getting more influence in the business sector than it should? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you, you're talking about business media. 
cover actual business. Don't cover these people's, you know, vacations and right. like, oh, yeah, well, he's got a mansion in Westchester and a mansion in El- Unless cares? you're Gary Hart, I guess that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always room for sex scandals. Let's yes, be let's be honest. <laughs> but that was a vacation everybody seemed to cover uh, front, age to, front page to back page. And I wasn't even alive, but I've heard about it. And they made a movie about it recently, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. No, it was it, it it was good. It was sort of like shifting in an era, you know, like sort of the end of the whole old school boys will be boys type of era, and the new school like, no, you need to conduct yourself more appropriately. Well, let let's focus in really quickly on the social media influencers because I believe that is a good way to be entrepreneurial and and build something. Oh, but, definitely. But how can we steer them on the right path? Well, I think that's sort of the question. Is you know, and and let's look at it, let's take a step back. Because you mentioned, you know, people starting to come of age, you know, 10 years since the recession and all that. What is appropriate for a person to be doing in their early to mid-20s? It's completely different in your early to mid-30s, completely different from your early to mid-40s. You need to grow up. Companies need to grow up. Um, Media needs to hold people accountable when they're not growing up. And investors need to stop investing in children, and I mean that emotionally, not, you know— Stop investing in children and start investing in viable products. Right. Well, you know, you talk about products and people. I think one of the first millennials that ever went down was Shkreli because he was like the first big guy, like, you know, this youngster charging everybody through the roof. And now he's nowhere to be found. No. that and, and, And that's totally it because he, you know, him, it was it was how do we support this lifestyle, not how do we provide life saving drugs to people who need these life saving drugs. Right. Obviously, yeah, in a in a profitable manner, but you know, it, I, I think that's a great point. I totally forgot about him. And then you had the influenza, affluenza kids. I mean, all these different cases. But you say held them accountable. How would you want to see them held accountable? So I think one thing is to sort of stop coddling them, to sort of stop saying, you know, it's okay that you don't have a pathway to profitability. It's okay that your company is basically owned by a hedge fund, but nobody knows who's investing in there. Like, it's okay that you're disrupting these established businesses because, oh, isn't it cool how many Instagram followers you have? It's like, what are you talking about? And you find that, see, I don't know, I I guess I'm not in that field to find it enough, but. I find it, I find it very off-putting and I find it because I think, look, we know media is struggling. We know clickbait is what sort of drives the revenue so i'm sure they get it from above if you write an article about you know elon musk smoking weed will get you know x number of clicks versus if you write an article about you know like bloomingdale's third quarter struggle you you know like even even just saying it right now one sounds really boring and one sounds really Really exciting exciting. yeah but you know the news isn't really supposed to be exciting right well and we should hold musk accountable because I'm kind of glad the SEC is looking into him as well because, look, you can't do that and then you can't tweet out about your IPO or whatever right. and then shut it down. It no, was just, that was all a mess. Exactly. It's a, it's a total mess. But again, but again. Bordering it, on legality, I it's, think. It's, it's a chicken and an egg thing, right? It's like, did he just do it to do it or did he think that this would be okay after years and years and years of keep pushing the boundaries right. and pushing the boundaries and pushing the boundaries? You know, But he like, did get a Pentagon deal, which I thought was interesting uh, out well, of all that. Well, these Pentagon deals. Well, I think it's like if, if 
if it's between Bezos and um, and Gates and him, I guess it was like he was the lesser of the three evils for the well, Pentagon. Well, for Trump, yeah, exa- exactly. Yep. Yeah, but you know what? Listen, I mean, to me, this this goes all the way back to um, you know, to Howard Hughes and the Aviator. Government contracts is a dirty business. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's not. It, they're not easy to get. Um, a lot of competition, and at the end of the day, it's what what is what is you're making a decision. What's your superior going to be happy with? So the other mindset about small business in general and, and Small Business Saturday is that we're bringing people into a conscious decision to sm- shop small because we're not going to go to Louie's Coffee Shop if Starbucks is really good. Mm-hmm. But do you think it's time we start training ourselves to be more small business minded? I think if you can do that, if you can really think about every purchase you make and try to keep it as local as possible. I think that would be great for the economy. And, and it is interesting because one of the things they're trying to do is you like sustainability, you know, like environmental sustainability. Right, so right. it's like when you make your purchases, you should have that in the back of your mind. And I'm like, great, but what's more sustainable <laughs> than small businesses? Exactly. And supporting small businesses. Exactly. So it's like that That should be in the mindset too. It's like let me just go local. Let me keep it as local as I possibly can. Now and how often do you shop local in a week, would you say? Um, geez, I, th- I would say at least. And I mean, like, what, what kind of local, like coffee no, so shops? Like, and all yeah, that? exactly. So, like, local delis, local bars, restaurants all the time. Um, I'm trying to even think how many chain stores I hit. Really, not that many. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll use Walgreens as a pharmacy. There really aren't a lot of local pharmacies. Right. Um, you know, maybe once a week I'll get like something of Chipotle or Subway or, Pret, um, but but otherwise, I really try to do keep it local. Speaking of delis, bodegas have like become a surge here in New York. Everybody loves the bodega. Now. Everybody loves it. Well, that goes back to Instagram. It's like, well, look at how cool this is. Uh, but yeah, people love their bodegas in New York. Thankfully, I mean, if those guys went away, can you imagine? It would be pretty bad. And also, I, honestly, if the carts went away, I don't know what we do because I they also keep the city running. They do. Have, the carts aren't going anywhere. No, there's no way. But and I don't think bodegas would either. But then again, they're paying rent, which is what these guys aren't. If I'm not mistaken. No, you're 100 percent right, and that's why they do have to be really tight with um, with permitting and things like that. Because that's your point. I mean, if you're spending 25 grand a month in rent, you can't you can't just let somebody pull up on the corner right in front of you sell the same stuff. Well, and we were talking about this the other day off air. We were talking about how you know all these businesses and storefronts are closing. What happens if the big names go away? Then we need the small business, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If if the big names go away, like Saks Fifth Avenue, I'm like, talking about. I mean, I I can't imagine what happens to the city. And and yeah, but that's the point. It's like you need to like fill that space with what three or four different businesses, right? Maybe you could get one of them that takes off, but like, then you keep having the turnover and the turnover and turnover. It's and it's a downward spiral right there. Now and then, is there a chance though that? Big stores like Macy's and Saks Fifth Avenue do close because I feel like taxes are soaring on them as well. I think – is there a chance? Yes. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I do think that there are enough opportunities in retail and e-commerce for 
well-run companies to survive and thrive. I mean, I'll give you two examples. Look at Target and Walmart. Sure. They're in amazing. And I know these are big companies, but they're in amazing shape. So, like, you know, I don't want to hear about, like, oh, the Amazon effect. It's like, those guys are crushing it. They're mm-hmm. doing great. And so can Macy's. You yep. know, it, it, and so can Saks. It's possible. And at the end of the day, they do have to have a local mindset, do they not? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, you have to accommodate for for the community you want to serve. And you do that, people will flock to it. And then that's the whole thing with social media. They'll be like, oh, my gosh, look at what I just got to make. I'm having the time of my life. Right. And people see it. It's nuts, but it, it works. And so I, I, I do. I am concerned, though, about increased you know, rent and regulation and taxes. It does really weigh a lot of companies and, down. And uh, as I'm thinking about it, well, another reason why I laugh in de Blasio's face would be like, hey, guy. You're the one that told a small business not to have a vacant storefront or you're going to get taxed. Like, right. this is how bad it's gotten it's in New got, York. It's gotten so bad. And again, it's like, you know, it's nickel and dime city over here. So what do you expect these businesses to do? And it's like, you Meanwhile, know, they're hauling out these $95 billion budgets a year, it, Zach. A year. It's unbelievable. I think the city has 300,000 people on the payroll. I mean... Talk about government waste. And Jeez. now we have a, a, what, the city blocking probes against Carranza and de Blasio and Char- Yeah, Charlene. I need to speak to Holden about that. But that but that looks like a huge problem. And, I, I you know, look, I, I, you know, I don't want to go too far into it, but I definitely know people who work in the city public school system. And they have been telling me these horror stories since I since de Blasio, but it, it's been escalated since Carranza. Well, because he's been having all these he wants certain – ethnicities in there and stuff like that. It's gotten bad. Right. It's basically like the sort of absurd... People used to have these really unwarranted, absurd fears about things like affirmative action and, um, you know, quotas and stuff. And somehow the de Blasio and Carranza administration let it become a reality. And we've, like, we've literally progressed... We've progressed from... The moderate Joel Klein, who was great, the, right, the yes. former guy. Randy Weingartner was okay, but then she became too union for my taste. She went on to be the well, she went to national, UFT. yeah, and then but she was raising hell in the city, yeah, and, and now we've got Carranza, so yeah, exactly. Oh, and Farina, oh, Carmen Farina, a real gem. <laughs> well, you know, but 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 it, really, the problem is this top-down management. They got rid of the. Board of Education. It's the Department of Education. So City Hall has complete control. You know, I don't care how much you love or hate the mayor. The, the mayor shouldn't have control over every aspect right. of people's lives. And he's wanted mayoral control for years, and Cuomo was very relenting to give it to him, and we know why, right? Yeah, I mean, well, well, yes, um, but it's not like Cuomo's ever given up control of anything. That too. Yeah. But, but you're 100% right. You're 100% right. Because, I, mean, I mean, Bloomberg, I think, had mayoral control. Bloomberg was the one. It got to be mayoral control over Bloomberg. I mean, he's the one who started who took it away from being the um, Board of Ed to Department of Ed. And that was mostly so he could sell some of his products to the schools. And- well, that's what, and we should get into this on another topic because we had – in our text messages, there are sometimes conspiracy theories. And one thing <laughs> i got to talk about because I take the LIR every day. Oh, yes. And the one that comes to mind is when you told me, I think they slow down the trains to get like fares. I'm like, are you kidding me? No way. I, I, I have that th- – Theory. I can't prove it, but I just know there are times when the tra- I'm on the train and it slows down for no real reason, and then all of a sudden out pops the conductor. You know, let me get your ticket. Which look, they they got to get the fares. I get that, but it's like if you can't collect the fare in the 15 minutes it takes from Forest Hills to Penn Station. And know. by the way, do you know what 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 was the number I sent you? Like 44 million dollars, something in fare. 
uh, skip, they skipped a lot of fares over the last couple of years. The yeah, and I think fares. that was just on the LIRR. I mean, I think when you include Metro North and, and you know, subway evasion, it, you're talking about in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And now they don't want cops to crack down on subway evasion. This is where we are in the city today. No, because in the city, laws only matter um, if we want them to matter. I'm trying to find the thing because I think it's important for New Yorkers to know, hey, uh, you could get on one of these trains and get lucky, you know. But also it just was mismanagement, really. Look, the MTA has one problem and it is a management problem. A- any any other issue you would have with the MTA, it stems from management. I mean, I say it's I say it's a cartel. I, I mean, I basically say they're like the Medellin cartel, um, only a slightly more friendly um, but yeah, this is <laughs> this is not an organization I'm a particular fan of, and and, and they they are one of the most thirty three million dollars in haphazard million. fare collection, okay. and that just shows that they're not cracking down enough, and that's also a worry because you don't want the tax dollars going to lazy management, but that's what's going on. Oh, sometimes. that's exactly what's going on, and that's where that congestion pricing money is going easily. Yeah. Now, uh, one other thing, and I was going to cover it over the last few days. Maybe you have a thought on it. Finally, National Grid and Cuomo come to a deal. Finally, this this was a huge problem. There are lots of businesses in Queens and Brooklyn who, you know, they were still paying rent. They were still paying all their taxes and fees, but they couldn't have the gas hookup, so they couldn't be open for business. I mean, you're talking about wiping people's life savings out just because, you know, the governor and this uh, utility got into a fight. I am very glad they resolved it. I'm glad there's money there hopefully that money goes to pay restitution for those businesses what i see 36 million dollar fine or something to that yeah it was 36 million dollar fine i I, again i i hope it goes back to make those entrepreneurs and small business owners whole and and homeowners too and homeowners too yes exactly It, it it that every single penny needs to go to the people who are hurt by this i'm pretty sure they saw the calendar and said well thanksgiving's here december's here we gotta get something done to at least get people warm again definitely Definitely. Uh, what What was that about? Do you know exactly? Because I've been trying to yeah. So hunt here's what it's story. about. So um, I, I, I well, let me give a quick plug. Uh, there is an article on NewYorkTruckStop.com that explains this. We had Tom Gretsch on, okay, who's the uh, president of the Queens Chamber of Commerce on a couple of months ago talking about it. So basically, I don't remember the name, but there was a pipeline that they wanted to extend, and the state vetoed it because it's a natural gas pipeline, and they don't want anything that's even remotely uh, fossil fuels. But um. There was no other. There was no alternative fuel right now that could have hit the demand that this pipeline could have. So right. that was the issue. Um, and then, so, so now, it goes back to a pipeline. It goes back to a pipeline not being extended by the state. And uh, I'm not surprised they didn't extend it because they just don't want anything to do with that. No, they want nothing to do with it. Um, and and you know. Ordinarily, I, there's a lot of me that, that does agree with where National Grid is coming from, but they had to have known this was coming. I mean, like you say, New York State was never, in this climate, New York State was never going to approve it. Right. Pipeline. Well, you know, and one other story. So to go back to the generational thing, which popped up in my mind, um, the other generational thing that's being come under fire is the coal industry. But, I mean, I believe the coal industry is a generational thing. And if you do that, you take away lineages after lineage. And I don't think that's the right thing to do either. Well, you know what really gets on my nerves? I, I think that it, it's the type of thing where the market can decide. I think there is just such less demand for coal. I think people don't really want that powering their vehicles and their homes and their businesses. So so I think we, we were, gonna, we're naturally going to move away from coal. Um, I think that it, it, it should happen 
through market forces. I also really don't like it where a lot of these politicians get up there and they say, well, we could just retrain people, A, as if it's that easy. But also, B, you're talking about the same people who cut trades, who cut, you know, community college training. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you really want to make these investments in workers to get them different skills, different job skills, by all means, do it. There's so many opportunities out there in the trades. But but it can't just be all talk. You got to actually do it. You got to provide a plan for it. And uh, I think business training is another thing the it's, city could do. It's huge. There there's so much that can be done. There's so much productive things that could be done to get to goals that a lot of these politicians set. But right. But but what's easier to do is just hit mandates. Right. And it's easier to quotas. just hit quotas and taxes. And and that's how. That's how they run things. And that's why we're seeing people leaving in droves. Right. And well, that's another big problem here in New York. Maybe you have a better stat than I do on, on the amount of people leaving the state and the city uh, as of right now. I have, um, last I checked, this was from Bloomberg, it's about 300 people a day. So he investigated something. That's good. <laughs> well, it's his company. He's not exactly. doing the work. <laughs> but no, I don't know if you guys know, but Bloomberg said, ah, we're not going to investigate Mayor Bloomberg and his foundation <laughs> stuff. But the bothersome of that was they weren't going to investigate any other Democratic candidates, which I didn't understand either. Yeah, but then I, I heard that Lat, one of Bloomberg's consultants is also involved in some Ukraine shenanigans, so I think that's where oh, I started to look into back to Ukraine it. again. It's always back to Ukraine. Well, I mean, to be fair to the political consultants, they're going to go where the money is. I and, mean, that's and this, just how it is. And this national grid and small business and everything, I feel like they just get overpowered by the sensational news of impeachment and all that and it's up to us to change that narrative is it not no completely it's completely up to us and 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 that's the whole thing it's like i don't really want to hear about what's going on in washington i don't care not when you know my favorite restaurant is barely making enough to support the rent you know right that's what i care about well zach miller truck stop radio you hear it on am 97 the answer you're hearing it tonight on this podcast keeping it real with alexander garrett thanks so much for joining us oh thank you and uh And I probably will not be with you Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving. And please do not charge the bull, so to speak, at Black Friday sales. Please do not rush into stores. Be safe and have fun. If you want to get on that line at 5 a.m., get to it. (laughs) But that being said, be safe. Have a beautiful holiday, and God bless you. And thankful for this podcast and for my family and friends every day.